board. All right. So. I am anxious for this interview to go well and not to be a strain or irritating or anything like that. Um, so. Are you, are you recording or? Yes, I'm recording. Okay. I don't know how long that pause was. Today you come to us not only as a reader, but also as a writer. Well, actually, the opposite. Yeah, I have not read. That's that's actually a good place to start. It was the warning that I, yeah, I have not uh, read the book since, like, August. Maybe, yeah, I guess I haven't read, like, every word of the book since, like, the beginning of August. So, okay, uh, and the book, not the book we're talking about. Right now. Well, that's, that's, okay, I think that's ahead. better. We discussed this last week. I think that's better for you. Um, in a situation where you're being asked questions that it's not a rehearsed, uh, prescribed yeah. thing that you had just read. I, I think that's going to be better. Right. Uh, so the novel is called okay. The Griggsville Society, and it was written by you, Nash Kuhn. And I reread it this week after having read it over the, uh, I guess, when, did you publish this in the summer? Uh, September, end of okay. September. So I had read it when it came out in September. And I reread it this past week. So, let us discuss it as naturally and as yeah. interestingly as possible. All right. Um, here's, here's my summary of the novel, if I was going to tell someone about what it was. Okay? Um, and I want to see what you say. And I hope you're not too sensitive to anything that contradicts whatever you meant. Okay? But yeah, I, I'm I just I'm Okay, good. Because I'm just going to talk. I think it's a book that you wrote after... About 10 years, I think it's been about 10 years since we got out of college, of living and reading and thinking. And it's your understanding and impression about how life should be lived. And you're sort of explaining your opinion about living and doing so by appreciating art and what it means to interact with other people Um when it comes to loving other people. So that's that's how I would summarize it. What do you think about that? Uh, that's interesting. I was never, like, consciously doing that. That's one of the... Okay. Yeah, I guess that's one of the ironies of, 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 of the book. Is that a couple of people said, would... said stuff like that, and I thought it was way more ambiguous than I that. thought you would say that. Well, but you got to remember the ending, more though. more didactic. You got to remember the ending. I don't think it was didactic on purpose, but I think the ending is the end of an arc that has a definite point of view, Mm -hmm. right? Sure. Okay, so that's where I think it comes from, because when you end the book, and we'll talk about the passages that I underlined and everything, I just think it's a very beautiful, elegaic ending to a novel about a guy starting off in life. But the author who wrote it has spent ten yeah. years reading and thinking through and yeah, making that's mistakes. I was I was I was asking for, for of the people who read it, I was soliciting topics or questions, which I should have done last week, but I was I, I started like an hour ago and somebody uh Josh asked me uh or said to talk about Nash Pilgrim versus Nash the poet, or I think vice versa. Um yeah, like Dante Pilgrim versus Dante. The poet, you know, um, 
And yeah, uh, I, I have no idea. I, 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 uh, I, I would have to, I think I would have to reread it. Um, I, it was kind of like, I, when I was writing it, it was very, uh, yeah, it's what I was thinking about all the time. Um, and there were probably like whole passages that I could recite, at least the, you know, whatever one I was working on that day, I could probably recite by memory, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like this like Buddhist sand mandala that I, you know, spent, you know, weeks, months crafting. And then once I'm done, this is kind of typical with whenever I make something, it's, but after I'm done, I don't even think about it. Um, yeah, so they, yeah, like the the mandalas that they would break out and then just blow away. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I, I uh, what, what do you think? I'll just bounce back. Um, of what do Nash, I think about the what? poet versus Nash the pilgrim? I think that the story versus. I okay. Let me... One thing I'll say is that I think. Uh, Phineas was a better writer than I am because um, he's not like exactly it's not just like you know my journals I mean um, mm-hmm. a couple of passages are more or less stolen from my own uh, commonplace book that I was keeping back in the day um, I have to go through and uh, look at those um, but yeah he, he's, he's like a more uh I would say more precise writer. That was one of the things that I realized as I was writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think you would necessarily think of, of Phineas as like a hyper, like logical, super worried about that, about that kind of person, but like uh, phrasing and just, just ideas. Uh, he's always like trying to be as precise and therefore, avoiding like cliched or borrow fr- borrowed phrasing a lot uh which i don't do enough of i don't avoid that you know in my own uh just just you know when i'm talking to people or i don't do that enough um so yeah there are some differences between phineas the poet and nash the poet which are <laughs> Uh, things I just learned by writing, uh, you know, kind of things you just uh, figure out from the the, the voice. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I know what you mean by that. It's a very it's it's almost a, a polished journal. It's not like it's not really what yeah. you would probably have in a journal because the journal would be more messy. Um, and I was going to mention the style and the. Uh, well, there are there are a few. Speaking to that, there are a few. Uh, that is deliberately why I left in some, you know, like there's the notes towards some essay he's going to write. And I guess the most, most important one is the manifesto that he fails to write page three of, or I don't know how it gets formatted, but, um, you know, the, after, after the, uh, the tea party that they have and all the events surrounding that, he goes home and, uh, has has writes the beginning of this aesthetic manifesto uh, and can't get to page three of that. <laughs> That's more, uh, I mean, unpolished. It was more deliver. I mean, that 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 has uh, more resonances on like his character. 
um, but it's also just like this is a guy writing in his journal. Um, yeah, yeah. I w- the, it's like the, it is. I think I think I think it's eighty six hundred words is the is the entry before which you know uh, you imagine some crossed out lines. It's not you know the 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 stereotype of Shakespeare, which is probably myth myth given the revisions that his different different folios went through and stuff. Um, but yeah, that image of Shakespeare just writing without care, just like not, no, no, I forget exactly what it was, but like no crossed out lines or dotted, dotted out words or whatever. Uh, Johnson, if I remember correctly, uh, said about it. Um, so yeah, I also like, I, if, yeah, I, I assume this is weird, but like, I'll go back and like edit my, my diary, <laughs> like, uh, I'll reread an, an entry and, you know, rephrase something or go back and polish it a little bit, even though no one's ever going to read it ever, hopefully. <laughs> Nor could they, because my handwriting is terrible. Um, that, was, that was another question I got. It's like, how would Phineas react? And my first, how would Phineas react if he read his journal years later, which is related to the uh, National Poet versus National Pilgrim question. Um, my first response is he could not read it <laughs> because I have terrible handwriting. Um, and I have looked at old journals and have no idea what I was saying. Um, but yeah, my second response is I think he'd just like laugh at himself. Um, I think he'd find it funny what he was, you know, there was the idea was reaching towards and the certainties that he had that uh, would have been overthrown by years of experience. Um, and the certainties that he had even within the, the story, like all those times when he's like, yeah, I'm just over this shit, uh, on page, you know, uh, hundred something. Yeah, yeah, I'm over, over, over all this romantic inclination. Um, yeah. I think he would have laughed at that also. Um, okay, good. But let's, let's, uh, let's keep, I want to go back to the fact that it's a diary. Uh, because I think yeah. the fact that it's a diary and then it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of thoughts that aren't necessarily finished, but that someone like you, mm-hmm. I think you probably have this habit of writing down what you're thinking about, okay, and trying to um, work it out in your head. And this guy Phineas in the book is a writer for the Critic, a magazine at the college, so he writes down a lot of the ideas, and um, yeah. is also a journalist and. Uh, writing down things that are happening on campus and i think you know some of these are the pieces that would have been in the critic um yeah and and i want to i want to say how the point that you make about life being about life being a situation that uh happens on accident and that that's Mm. better than being something that's planned out and purposeful I want to. I just think the style of the book, because it's like a diary, works for that. And I wanted to read a line. Yeah, which, uh, that's, bring... that's good because it was highly structured. But I wanted it to be, you know, feel offhand, feel entirely un. Oh, that's interesting. Obviously unplanned. Yeah, it did. Fe- um, it felt. It but yeah, felt... it wasn't just randomly assorted. Okay. Uh, every like entry is. I thought about. I mean, I would have to go back to my journals, where I was, my work journals, where I was writing out. You know where this entry should go, where this line should go, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it was all, it was, nothing was, you know, I mean, there, 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 there were, you know, moments of inspiration, but, you know, once, once I was in, 
to editing, uh, everything was uh, well, or maybe not well, <laughs> but much thought out at least. Well, I think it feels put together on purpose, but I, I think that reading it through, it's sort of a pastiche of impressions and memories and feelings, and it works really well for yeah. the ending, at least uh, for me. I wanted to read a line about about the, the Phineas's thesis and and also about yeah. what we were just discussing. He says, isn't this always the case? The superfluous thoughts I have about something I'm writing, the marginal notes that I find myself scrawling in between sessions of work on the actual piece, they always end up becoming the real piece. And all the work I had been doing on the actual piece turns out to be just background information. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's kind of like all the things that he's writing in this diary end up being the book, you know? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about Oscar? And this, is, this is actually part of, not to go back to a question that you said you didn't want to talk about, but just because people ask you, like, where did you get the idea from this, for, for this and stuff like that? Um, that's part of the reason I can't, like, answer that is because uh, it just, like, was there. Um, like, like I, it wasn't, like, a constructed, like, I need to write. Uh, I mean, who needs to ever write a freaking novel um well and, you know and then i should write it from a first person perspective and et cetera. you know building up towards it was just yeah um but the way you wrote it is more hesitation by the day man the way you wrote it was apparently structured in the editing but i think it's a natural outcome of your experience it's not like you sat down and plotted out a novel right no so Reading it is more of an experience. Outlines after the fact. Yeah, kind of like reading, you know, a novelist who isn't someone known for structuring a plot to get to the end where there's a solution or something mm. like that. Um, so I see what you mean by that. I mean, I think I understand why people ask that. I mean, I can see how there could be an explanation yeah, I don't know that what if they, someone what they want, but if someone doesn't know you and doesn't and didn't go to Carolina with you, that question has. Uh, a more literal, yeah. obvious origin, right? Than, than if I read it and were to ask you that. Because, um, yeah. yeah, it feels very natural. Knowing you, it feels very natural. Uh, and as an outgrowth of, like I said, your experiences and thinking and reading in the last 10 years and sort of pushing, pu- uh, pouring that into uh, college experience and just um, yeah. putting it all on paper. Uh you want to talk about Oscar Wilde, and because I, I want to, I want to discuss how he influenced you in college. If you could think back to when you were Phineas in college, um, because I remember you talking about him all the time. I remember when you wrote that thesis, and I just know that he he influenced you a lot back when you were. T- uh, I guess you were late teenager and early twenties, and you want, yeah. can, can you explain the impact of Wilde on you and? And how how you put that into the book and how it influenced the uh, that is a good question the philosophy of the book. Uh, it's funny that I haven't reread Wild in like I don't know five years six years, um, and and I didn't have I had to like look up passages online if I wanted to make sure if I was like directly quoting him I had to look it up. Um, I think Wild is kind of like. Uh, what I've like digested um, mm-hmm. and kind of like like 
uh, maybe once in a while if I like don't have other books. I, I, I keep the Elman Wild, the Richard Elman biography that he talks about. Uh, I keep that um, around. Um, if there is like a production going on of uh, Ernest, I'll go see it. Um, but yeah, it was like a like a like a flash in like 2010. I guess it was it was the same time that I was that we were that you were running for student body president. Uh, so yeah, that would have been 2010. Um, and that I mean, uh, I, 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 yeah, I would say the stinniest of the book is a little bit. Maybe, yeah, like a little bit more along the line, or, yeah, uh, uh, along the trajectory of, of, of wild fandom um, than I was like instantly. Um, I think, yeah, like, like, like one, one reason I put the, uh, the, the, the like short entry about social, uh, Man under socialism uh, was yeah because he's like digesting wild at that point and mm-hmm. getting to a point where he's like ooh this essay is not very good <laughs> um, or this essay is he's like really impatient with it I think is, is the best way to put it um, but yeah uh, for me wild was I mean he's yeah he's just like like funny as fuck and this uh, I. I, I think for me, I, I was thinking about this uh, in relation to another question I got, but the the kind of, for me, Wild kind of strands together uh, would have been like two preoccupations of my, you know, uh, me, <laughs> uh, which is just like uh, the, the, the relationship between like romanticism and humor and the kind of like, 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 like laughter as, as, I, I mean, when we think of, you know, the romantic, you think of Goethe and, uh, Schiller and Coleridge and Wordsworth and Byron. You don't necessarily, maybe a little bit with Byron, but like, you don't think of like Keith as like a funny person. Um, but that kind of like, uh, cause, cause, cause Wilde was unde- like undeniably in that tradition, although, as an anti-nominalist, I would, you know, hesitate against using a big term like romanticism, um, throwing it around to describe entire people's work. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was, he was, he was out of that, that tradition, out of, you know, Ruskin and Walter Pater. Um, and he was, you know, writing comedy. <laughs> he was writing, I mean, even, Picture of Dorian Gray, which is maybe, I mean, I, 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 I've read it in relation, or read, read, read people thinking about it in relation to like sci-fi and fantasy genres and, uh, you know, just, just his least obviously funny work. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first couple of pages are just Lord Henry, just like cracking wise. Um, so that kind of like laughter as, like a, uh, I think I think Phineas says like there's no more piquant uh, aesthetic experience than 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 a joke. Um, that that's kind of been like a nugget uh, 
kind of behind a lot of, yeah, what I've been thinking about <laughs> forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, probably about behind my personality and stuff. Um, so yeah, wild as just like a celebration and exploration of that kind of twinning of, yeah, the like natural force of laughter as like, yeah, as, 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 as a romantic reaction to the world, the contemporary world, the capitalist world, the modern world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I- and so, yeah, wild was, uh, inspired me a lot. <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it's almost like asking somebody like why their favorite color is their favorite color or something like, tell me why green is your favorite color. Uh, it's like, I, I'd have to unpack a lot of things, mm-hmm. um, that I probably couldn't, uh, just as, as speaking as, but don't as, you think I would have said, you were talking about. I would have said if someone had asked me the influence of wild on you, I would have said it gave you, like you said, you have, um, sort of he's diffused into how you feel about life. And I think a lot of it has to do with, like you yeah. said, about how he views humor and how life is too important to take it seriously. And that sort of influenced right. your view about comedy. And I think it gave you a language to explain what you felt about, you know, living and sure. why you wanted to become a comic or a comedian or go into something like being a novelist or a writer. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, but also, I mean, uh, as just like a sheer, you know, he's the uh, evangel, evangel <laughs> of asceticism, whatever I say, in the, or whatever Phidias says in the book. Um, and just, yeah, just the, the, yeah, just art as this unnecessary art. All art is quite useless. Um, yeah, it's just, just, just. Uh, uh, aesthetic production as or, or artistic production just as like the the this useless hyper important thing that we should all be doing yeah um and he was also like a gateway drug to you know like william morris and john ruskin and uh walter pater um a lot of those other like similarly timed and, and like uh teofil gautier whom we talked about a while ago, uh, who is quoted in the book, uh, Mademoiselle de Maupin. Um, yeah, he was kind of like an entryway to, he was, he was a gateway drug to all of those mm-hmm. thinkers who um, also color the way. Well, let me read a couple and, things. Yeah, I, I don't know who my... Let me read a couple things that were my gateway drug to Wilde was. So yeah, I think he, he's like... Yeah, he was the gateway to to a lot of the people I've been preoccupied with for the last few years. Um, let yeah, me read a couple things that relate to what you're talking about. Because at the end, I'm on page 234 of my copy. Um, and 235, he talks about the distinction between productive people and people who are like Phineas, who mm. are unproductive and useless. Okay, And he talks about how useful Phineas would be too directed to while away his time, always thinking of aphorisms. And um, there are a lot of funny aphorisms, aphorisms in the novel. Uh, social Phineas, left on his own, has nothing to say. Phineas El Allegreo, however you say that, couldn't exist without Phineas El Pincero. So um, if I were a productive person, I'd never... You remember produce... that from Milton? Allegro uh, no. versus El Pincero? Uh, no, so I don't. I don't recall. <laughs> 
I mean, it rings a bell, but... Um, but I guess we shouldn't talk about Barber then. Uh, but yeah, Legro <laughs> was... Barber will forgive me. He doesn't was, give a crap. <laughs> was the, the light, the the, um, the happy-go-lucky one versus Il Pentero, so the, like, thought-addled up-in-some-tower version. Um, that's, like, twin... Do you remember the twin poems from, like, the early-ish part of Milton's production? Yeah, that does actually ring a bell, but I couldn't have told you what it so, yeah. Phineas L'Allegro is, you know, Phineas out and about, uh, fountain-wise at, 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 in, like, class. And, you know, uh, we can imagine, like, Carolina or Catalba critic meetings. Uh, but, you know, Phineas Il Penseroso is the one uh, who actually we, we do see a little bit of, like, in his office, uh, racking his brain, or you know, maybe not. Uh, it's, you never see him working that hard or, or, or troubling himself too much, uh, but at least tensing himself up to, to you know, uh, write copious notes about uh, Oscar Wilde's aestheticism. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that's that line. I got it. I got it. Let me let me finish reading. Okay. If yeah, I sorry. were a productive person, I'd never produce anything valuable. Without nihilism, I'd have nothing. Okay. And then on the next page, I wonder if productive people, these poor, industrious, purposeful, accomplished people, can ever really experience beauty. And I want to talk about that real quick because, from my point of view, because I think you're lucky, yeah. and I think the people who are productive and successful are lucky as well because they're on the 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 opposite end of you. And you're on the opposite end of them. And I think that's the only way to truly be happy, to to indulge yourself in one of those ways of living. What do you think about that? I agree with you. I think there is, uh, I think there is I a contradiction in being productive and experiencing beauty. And I think there's a contradiction in, you know, pursuing art and doing anything useful, which... I totally agree with that. I just think it's sort of lucky to be one way or the other, you know, and I think you've really bought into the the one way, which is the the way of the artist and the way of the Oscar Wilde uh, protege. Yeah. Um, and I think most people are in so, between. So it's, it's, it's I think most people are in between. It's a hard question to get me to try to, like... <laughs> Like, I, 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 well, okay. Well, let me ask you it this way: Do you have any people being happy? They do not seem happy but, to but, me. But, but, Nash, like, do you have any things? Or, like he says in you know, Soul of Man under Socialism, that you know, the the, the purpose of man, or you know, no one's raison d'être would ever be piling up things. No one's going to self-actualize doing that. Uh, are you speaking? So are you speaking into the response. phone? Go ahead. Okay. So yeah, what I was saying was Phineas's response would be that, uh, as he says in the the entry on Soul of Man under Socialism, when he talks about uh, you know no one's going to self actualize by figuring out how to not pay out insurance claims. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps these people are moment to moment amused i don't know they all seem bored and angry to me mm-hmm. um but but do you have any criticisms but, of your uh chosen path do you see any downside to it do you have any criticisms of phineas besides the fact that he would look back and probably laugh at himself oh i mean um, he would he would laugh at himself and the you know uh the kind of in, like like uh uh he's incompletely uh Uh, committed i I guess at this point moving on 
Let's talk about love. Yeah, you're not going to get me to budge on that. All right, all right, all right. Let's talk about love in the book, okay? You mentioned uh, yeah. Rosalind from As You Like It, and I think that's kind of the stepping off point. Oh, yeah. About how you discuss love in this book. So you want to go into that? Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, you're the expert. You've read it. <laughs> I, read it. I was going to say, year. let me find the passages I noted in my notes here. Uh, where it's you disc- the second entry. Um, uh, well, I was just talking about, like, uh, Phineas Hill Penseroso sitting away, uh, dribbling in, 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 his, in his diary. Um, um, I'm on page about 60 to 61, where you start talking about it again. Um, yeah. And let me see what I underlined here. Uh, this, I think, was actually um, inspired, if not directly transcribed, from when we were talking about some of, in, in what you were, when we were talking about uh, the, the comedies. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're going to where I think you're going to. Yeah, I think um, I thought about that, about how our conversations and I, I that are now, I think, lost to history. But I wondered if they had <laughs> I, I wondered oh, wow. if they had, um, you know, helped you think through what it meant that Rosalind didn't take love seriously, yeah. but fell in love, you know. Right. Or, yeah, she's, uh, she says it's like a sport, you know, something akin to I forget what he calls it. Uh, but, yeah, something akin to, yeah, just just to while away the time, like you know, gossip or uh, sewing, I don't know what else, <laughs> maybe tennis. What, what, did, what did rich people do in the 16th century? Um, yeah, stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to find the... And then she, like, falls head over heels almost instantly after that. Yeah, and you make uh, the point, the and I'm trying to find... I'm trying to find the particular line, but you make the point that being in love is only worthwhile if you don't believe in love, if you don't see it coming. Oh, yeah. If you don't intend for it to be a concrete, never-ending, permanent thing in marriage, you know? And I think right. that's... So it, it can only be, uh, you know, this miraculous experience if you don't believe in it. If you think it's going to happen, I think he says something like, um, you know, if, if you if you believe in love and just like expect it to happen, I'll be married by the time I'm 30. There we go. Um, it's like a more or less well-timed income tax refund. Yeah. Something t- like be that. sure and talking to your phone, bro. Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, uh, I'm kind of walking around. I found the line. Yeah. I found the line. I guess if yeah, I, it's on page 19 and I thought I underlined more about Rosalind. But anyway, on page 19, Phineas is is thinking this through, and he says, I guess that if someone believes in love, then love becomes merely possible, expected even. It's just an anticipated dividend, like a more or less well-timed income tax return. But if love is absurd, if it probably doesn't exist, and it certainly is a joke, then when one suddenly falls in love oneself, love is an, an astonishment. Like I was saying, he's a better writer than I am. <laughs> like, like I was saying. <laughs> yeah, it's a very well-written paragraph. Um, and I think that's a beautiful uh, lesson to learn from that play. And I, yeah. I think, you know, watching everybody we know go through the, the yeah. mechanical, yeah. almost mechanical process that's determined. And you have to have these certain events that occur and these certain invitations that go out. And it's just like... 
I mean, I, I really... The $7 it, I, envelopes. This goes back to you probably not relenting at all, okay, on this point, and me being wishy-washy in the middle, but I, I envy people who are able to do that and be happy, you know, and I, mm. I, I don't know if they're all happy, but you and me, I think, are on the same page about how how uninspired it all feels and seems from the outside and it just hasn't yeah. happened to us and we don't understand it's latching on to some timeline it does feel like that and i, I don't want to accuse people of that but it does feel that way and it becomes an inevitable like up oh, time to get engaged time to have a baby time to uh, uh blah 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 so you know i i totally yeah but i mean me me nash the pilgrimer yeah, or in this case, just Nash the guy has a different opinion than Nash the poet would have, which is that, yeah, there are different characters. I mean, like, Julian in the book has, like, a whole different, you know, internal world and a whole different set of values, which, and a, and a whole different, like, motivation system that, uh, yeah, just. Well, what do you neither, mean? Or what do you mean? like, commenting or not commenting on it. Uh, but yeah, just, just, just presenting that would be Nash the poet or Phineas the poet's interest and in trying to get at what it feels like to live like Finn or live like Julian, uh, like he tries to do in that sketch of Julian. Um, or mm-hmm. yeah, to, to, to live like, you know, uh, well, but Nash, that's different than condemning, schedule. that's different than condemning the way they live, which is what I think you yeah. do. Right, right, but that, I mean that's that, that, that's just Nash, the moral actor walking around the world. Whereas, you know, an artist doesn't right. of no party. Otherwise, he'd be a mere mortal. Um, yeah, the, the the poet doesn't care. The poet doesn't have you mm-hmm. know the same moral conviction. Uh, or the yeah, the same same instinct to judge or condemn. Okay. Or worry about it one way. Or but why another. do you? Ha- okay, I see what you're saying. That's a good distinction, and that's a good that's a good way to explain why the different vignettes of the um, of the characters go the way they do, or that they're open ended. Yeah. They're open ended kind of explorations of these vignettes of, of the people's lives. Um, yeah, the sketches. Yeah, very like openly inspired by Degas' sketches. Well, and Matisse <laughs> sketches that he sees earlier. Oh, and that was one of my favorite parts of the book. The, so let's finish the thing about love, where because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to I follow through with Phineas mostly, because his experience with Hannah kind of, <laughs> kind of comes through with what we're saying about the lesson that he learned from reading Shakespeare and also uh, Wilde and, and um, you know, the themes of, of the fact that not trying is the best way to accomplish things. Um, Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Hannah. He 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 is in a relationship with a girl named Hannah Phineas is, and he meets her offhandedly at the at the un, student union, and they have a whole semester of sort of experiencing day to day life together. Uh, per, in particular, they go to the to the uh, castle for the secret society right. and have a fun experience at night there. And in the end, though, it sort of it sort of. Um, Tamps out, and it's very ambiguous. He, much. he lists he li- he lists the reasons why there would be promising reasons to ask her to date him, and then he lists the reasons why he can see that right. possibly he's just another friend, you know. 
and in the end, it doesn't amount to to anything in terms of romantic relationship. Um, <laughs> right. So, uh, you want to just go from there? Um, yeah. You, so there are a lot of uh, moments in there, or at least in his uh, experience. Uh, where he's kind of like inspired, I think, or maybe not inspired, that's, that's the wrong, but like subliminally pushed, uh, towards, you know, uh, making something happen, uh, by other people. Yeah. And by like. He talks about it being uh, an open uh, scandal. And Justin falling in love with a girl that he doesn't know. And, um, everybody else, you know, like, like like the, the, the scene, uh, where they're all just talking in the, in the office. Um, and you know, the revelation of their different crushes. And he, until that moment, hadn't realized, uh, I forget the exact term, terms he uses, but yeah, hadn't realized how he should have, what he should have done and like how, how, how chaste his, his evening actually was. Um, I believe he says he feels chastised by his own chastity. Yeah. Um, yeah, he hadn't pushed towards a more definite conclusion. Um, in relation to yeah, the other people, um, in relation to like Julian or Justin doing doing just that. Um, so yeah, I think he that, speaking of things he would notice later, he would notice after the fact. I think I think that subliminal pull expectations and experiences and 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 kind of like 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 you know traveling traversing along that timeline. Of you know the 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 the, the set relational relationship timeline, um, yeah, he's kind of like letting letting himself be pulled along. Uh, he talks about like committing himself, like like uh, when he and Hunter go to look at art and then talk about their girl troubles afterwards. Uh, he talks about how like it's an open scandal now that he hasn't done anything. So he has to get his get his ass in gear. Um, a lot of those aren't like internal, you know, uh, motivations. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of like this, uh, mimetic, uh, there's a lot of mimesis about how he goes about that or, you know, what, what drives him along there. You know, Um, you, you just made me think of, yeah, go ahead. You made me think of school and how school is very regimented. Okay. And Mm -hmm. how life is not like that. Trained. I mean, princess. Yeah, you have you have a semester, and you have to ask this girl on it basically to go out with you um, yeah. before the semester is over, which makes no sense. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no good reason that that is the timing. You know that you have to ask by the end of the summer. Oh, it shouldn't take you fucking eight weeks. It should have been like the first night. Yeah, no, but but, but the back. fact that it's regimented and you feel like it's the yeah. end of ever being able to do anything. Uh, is it points to how I felt? I mean, that's how I felt at school. It was like such yeah. a, it was like a train rolling down a track. It was a cliff. Everything, yeah. yeah. The summer was a cliff, right? And that was it. Uh, and then there was a new year, and then you had new experiences, and it was like a whole different lifetime, you know. Um, that's not how life is in real in, in adulthood. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, and and the 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 way it played into the structure of the novel was. 
you were the only one of the group of the Griggsville Society to achieve their stated aims. You know, that was sort of a, <laughs> that was kind of a, a but, silly yeah, one that you weren't going to have any, any associations with females and you were the only one to achieve that, you know. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, I guess that's sort of how it played into the structure, right? That you, you got to the end of the semester and you, you had kept yourself focused on the eternal values and, <laughs> Didn't involve I mean, yourself. Of course, he had it bad, or at least not perfectly. Had hadn't, you know, yeah. Um, okay. Um, I was going to go into art and your your uh, yeah your observations about art and different sections of the novel. Well, I guess one thing, another thing. Yeah, before we move on, one other thing that I got asked. This is Justin in editing. Um, we had a couple of recording issues, one of which was Nash doesn't know how to talk on the phone, the other of which was related to my phone's inability to record, so we're gonna, um... So we have to jump in and yeah, re-record right We're gonna now. jump in and re-record, and Nash, take it away. Yeah, so at this point in the original broadcast, uh, Jessica and I were talking about a question that I received about the kind of stoicism of the mission statement, the stoicism at the beginning of the novel, the their kind of uh, the Griggsville Society and its pretensions of self-control and self-mastery. Um, and I got a question about that versus kind of a romanticist uh, thread that runs through the book, certainly through Phineas, uh, through what Phineas says and thinks in the book. Um, but both of those are like, as, as I think we kind of edged towards. Both of those are terms that I'm not super like comfortable with using. I don't think those are <clears throat> terribly accurate or certainly not precise terms because there are a thousand different people whom you could convincingly call romanticists and not be wrong. And all of them have, you know, entirely different worldviews. And it's, it's just one word for an entire, you know, person's work, let alone a thousand people's work, uh, is just, you're, you're pulling together things. It's just not going to be precise. So instead of that, to translate it into terms that I actually thought about and into terms that I think are more precise and more useful, um, I uh, tried to translate it into uh, talking about the, the mind-body dualism. The Stoicism of the of the the beginning of the book, and certainly a kind of like academic Platonic sense that uh, like the Goldberg people, Goldbergians, Goldblumiacs, Goldblumards, um, I forget all the different terms Phineas uses for them. Um, the as he calls them, mind body dualists. Um, <laughs> And I, I, I don't think in, in either recording, <laughs> we, we, we talked about this too specifically, the dualists uh, specifically or purposefully typoed to be D-U-E-L-I-S-T-S. I don't know how to spell. Uh, but, but yeah, not, not just that there's a mind-body dualism, which is uh, not necessarily what Phineas would, would agree with, um, but also that the mind and the body are, are, are in opposition or that the mind has to control the body. Um, yeah, this is kind of, you know, the, 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 the based in, in, in Platonic, uh, a Platonic way of looking at, at, at the person. And it, um, 
Yeah, that 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 that, that sounds like a lot of Julian, what Julian's uh, way of looking at the world. Um, and so that gets like illustrated in the sketch that Phineas writes of Julian, where uh, Julian, or, 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 or certainly that gets illustrated in the sketch, and also Phineas's monist is you know, mind-body unification. Um, also, it, the critique of that co- comes out where um, Phineas, or sorry, Julian, <laughs> he had just had his anniversary with his girlfriend and they went a little bit further sexually than he intellectually, hypothetically, would be comfortable with. Um, so he has to, he like, keeps flipping and uh, almost thinking or thinking about that, their uh, encounter in more lascivious salacious ways than he would want to intellectually. Um, and so uh, he keeps telling himself that, yeah, he can't just, you, you, you've got to stop thinking about that. You can't just be driven by the appetites. You have to, you know, saddle your appetites with reason or however he says it. Um, but of course, the the irony is that throughout that section, all of his, all of those thoughts are, uh, precipitated by bodily reactions. He's, he's eating and like, um, if he's eating, you know, a, a specifically delicious or buttery or chocolatey coffee cake or, um, his English muffins, which are buttery or have, have just the right amount of strawberry jam on them. That's what like precipitates his like more lascivious, salacious sexual thoughts. Um, and then whenever he drinks like the, the, the terrible black coffee that crunches back at him, um, that's what kind of studies him and sobers him, um, and flinches him back into, oh, I gotta stop thinking about that. Uh, I gotta stop thinking in such sexual ways about my girlfriend. Um, so yeah, <laughs> there, the, there is kind of, uh, at the same time that, you know, Julia's, uh, uh, an explicit, ex- statement of Julia's worldview, but also kind of Phineas's jokey uh, critique thereof. Uh, Phineas, the, who, who ironically um, would be a mind, or seems to be a mind-body, like monist, like I said, um, his idea, he, he, he would be more along the lines thinking that there's, you know, every, every mental, there's no distinction, every mental function Every thought is also a bodily function. Um, there's no like real separating line between our thoughts and our actions, or, or, or our thoughts and our bodies. Um, and ironically, he who would be this like Dionysian uh, person has, you know, kind of these Apollonian uh, quibbles and quiddities. He he lets his like mental quibbles get in the way of his heroes, his bodily desires. Um, and like you, you said last time we were talking off, I guess not on, on the record anymore. But yeah, there's like barely any heroes to his story. There's, there's, there's barely a you know, sexual... Um, he doesn't talk about like what Hannah looks like or there's like a... He accidentally calls... Like the closest he gets is accidentally calling her pretty one. Um, when they're, when they're by Ehrlich, they're walking back from, from the Ehrlich castle. Um, so yeah, the irony being that the would-be Dionysian, um, the ideologically Dionysian person is, you know, uh, 
in reality is, is, is following, you know, a kind of more Apollonian, uh, yeah, is, is, is an Apollonian. And whereas the, you know, the, the would be Apollonian, Julian, the, the person who would, you know, mental order and, you know, control over the self, um, is ironically giving in to the, to the yearnings of the body. Um, and so, yeah, that, 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 that kind of, uh, I, 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 per, you know, Phineas the poet or Phineas or, or Nash the poet, I, I, not really like taking a side on that issue, but just that that is kind of a, is a way I thought about the characters as I was writing them. Um, but also is just like a idea throughout the book. Not that one has to, you know, come down on either side of that mind body issue. All right. So is, okay. it, <laughs> I think that's a f- sufficient to explain that. And um okay. whatever the listener hears next is another topic. Yeah, we'll just jump back into the original program. Yeah. Uh yeah. <laughs> at a later I wanted to read um we don't have we have about 5 minutes left. And uh, for at least this episode. So I wanted to read something from yeah. from the book where Phineas is writing for the critic. This is page 83 in my book. It's called The Privileged Moments of Being, The Golden Hours. And Ooh. I think it speaks to kind of what you're saying about the, the, the desire to live a life that, you know, that makes sense. The way, it's, the way it makes sense, the way it actually is, not the way we want it to be. I think that's kind of something I, I, I get from what mm. you're talking about between the difference between Phineas and Julian. All right, so he talks about The privileged moments of being, the moments of imminence, the electric moments, moments that are a sort of prolonged jolt when there is no gap, no hesitation. Every idea is the idea, every suggestion the suggestion, every word the word, the right word the only word really. Every movement feels automatic, undirected, unmeditated. The hours that proceed with a gathering swiftness and inevitability, the hours which feel like memories, weighty and illuminated, even as you are living them. Um, mm. And then exactly. there is a passage about this is this is this is when he's uh, considering or, or or trying to build himself up to where he's going to ask Hannah to be his girlfriend. <laughs> And they're by the the Irelic castle, right? And it's a very similar. Are you talking near the end? Yeah, it's a very similar feeling. I don't know the way you wrote it. Let me get there. Uh, where you say that? Here we go. There are some moments that are heavy with the past, laden with all the events that preceded them. There are some moments that are multiplied by the future by all the events that will fold out from them. Moments that are like some origami figure that seems tiny and inconspicuous until you pull a tab and a whole multitude of intricately enfolded shapes tumbles out. And um, there's another part where you discuss the feeling of acquiescence to the fact that it's sort of a foregone conclusion what's going to happen. Right. And you give in. To that feeling, I don't that know if you knew that he has. Yeah, I don't know if Phineas knew which way it would go. That delusional certainty. Yeah. But, well, I mean, at that point, he feels like he knows. Yeah. But swift inevitability of the moments. 
Oh, God. And lastly, if I'm allowed, I want to quote your section about, and if we can discuss quickly, your section about Gerard, because it it had a huge impact on me when I oh, read yeah. it the first time. And I suppose Gerard was a, a composer uh, who who nope. wrote Spring he and did Fall. He did not exist? Okay, <laughs> oh. okay. No, I couldn't find him, so I... I'm taken from the Simpsons. <laughs> what? Go like on. Gerard is somebody who worked, on, who worked on The Simpsons. I literally was writing that, and I didn't... It, it, he doesn't exist. I made that up. Okay. Um, uh, well, that... But what is it, what is it inspired by? I wanted to... Nothing? Just listening to music? God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to Damon. All right, well, because your point... He's somehow related to Eric Fati in my mind. Damn it, um, I thought this was a... Okay, A lot well. of, like... <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me read a little bit real I'm quick. Sorry to have burst that already. <laughs> no, I, I I thought something was up because I couldn't find Gerard Spring and Fall on anything. <laughs> I will like entire like there are some there are plenty of anecdotes taken from artists' real lives. Like in the in a, in in the last scene where uh, T.S. Eliot um, is visiting Virginia Woolf and she's like, uh, "He's wearing makeup. This dude's wearing makeup." <laughs> um, that's that's from Virginia Woolf's letters. That's, yeah. That's, we know that. Um, so, yeah, I sprinkled in things that existed with, yeah, just totally, like, making things up if they, uh, if I wanted to. All right, this is the closing of the, uh, at least this episode. Let me read. All the meticulously polished phrases that Gerard pulled from his furrowed brow and the one strain that just popped into his head becomes the primary sound of the whole piece. This one strain that just popped into his head when he wasn't working, almost like when a fact you're trying to remember pops into your head only after you quit um, straining, I think it's straining, uh, no, scratching your brain for it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think your, your novel is a really nice experience that explains how you, that explains how you see, uh, living as an artist. I don't know. All right, hold on. The podcast ended. Let me, let me stop. Okay.